If you happen to be in need of a new t-shirt, hoodie, sticker, journal, or magnet, and want to help support this podcast, why not kill two birds with one stone and visit our official merch store? Check out the ever-growing selection of designs inspired by Japanese history at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com. Thank you for your support. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 6, Episode 9. Another Fujiwara Clan? You might be sick of hearing the name Fujiwara by now. Sorry about that. Between the Hokke branch who had a death grip on the nation's political direction, the subordinate branches who supported them, and the lesser branches who settled in the provinces and intermarried with the local elite, there are a lot of Fujiwaras to keep track of. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to yet another Fujiwara family, but the good news is that we met their most famous ancestor last season, so that helps, right? Right? Before we meet the new Fujiwaras, let's catch up with our old pal Fujiwara Yorimichi. When we last left the beleaguered Kampaku, the Zenkunen War in Mutsu province was just wrapping up, and the Seiwa Genji Minamoto continued to make a name for themselves as fearsome warriors. We will catch up with those noble samurai later in this episode. Yorimichi served as Kampaku regent for several emperors, using the qualification that he was their brother-in-law. His father, Michinaga, had used Yorimichi's sisters like throwing knives, pinning four of them to a different future tenno each. We can reasonably assume that he intended for Yorimichi to do the same, but his oldest son would, once more, disappoint him. Over the course of his life, Yorimichi only took three wives that we know of, his first wife appears to have been unable to conceive, and they adopted an imperial princess as their daughter. He conceived only five biological children, three sons and two daughters. One of his sons sought out a career as a Buddhist priest, another died in 1044, and his remaining son, Michizane, he groomed as his heir and protege. Regarding imperial marriages, he managed to arrange a union between his daughter Fujiwara Hiroko and Emperor Goreze in 1051, the same year the Zenkunen War began. This union gave Yorimichi even more legitimacy as Kampaku, now that he was the emperor's father-in-law, but his daughter was unable to conceive an heir for Goreze, which jeopardized Yorimichi's future claim to the office. Luckily for Yorimichi, Emperor Goreze sat upon the chrysanthemum throne for more than 20 years, plenty of time for the regent to take up some more wives and produce more daughters as brides for crown princes. That is what I suspect would have happened if Yorimichi had more closely resembled his late father Michinaga, who no doubt spun in his grave at his son's continued reluctance to take wives and make strategic use of his offspring. In 1067, Yorimichi was 75 years old and had served variously as Kampaku and Sesho for three emperors, Goichijo, Go Suzaku, and Go Reze. It was at this point that he decided to pass the torch to his brother, Norimichi, with whom he worked out a deal before, arranging to have him named as Kampaku for Emperor Go Reze. 
The deal was this. Norimichi would be allowed to take over as Kampaku on the condition that he passed the position to his nephew, Fujiwara Morozane, Yorimichi's son. Norimichi agreed to this and was promoted to Kampaku. The next year, 1068, disaster struck. Emperor Goreze died at age 44, leaving no direct heirs to the throne. Crown Prince Takahito, the late emperor's half-brother, took the throne and is remembered as Emperor Gosanjo. His reign would mark a significant decline in the power of the Fujiwara clan to dictate the political affairs of Japan. He was not closely related to Yorimichi, nor was he married to any of the regent's daughters. To make matters worse, he was a 35-year-old man, not an impressionable child. And the new emperor wasn't satisfied with being behind the scenes. Gosanjo Tenno was determined to refill the government's coffers, and soon after his coronation, he called for an audit of Shoen estates across the nation. The largest of these belonged to, wait for it, the Fujiwara clan. Yorimichi allegedly refused to submit the required paperwork, flexing what muscle he had left. But Emperor Gosanjo did not press the issue, and supposedly the Fujiwara were the only clan who did not comply with the audit. Meanwhile, division arose between the Fujiwara brothers. Younger brother Norimichi, now the acting Kampaku, started to show his own son favor over and above Yorimichi's son. This led to a rift within the clan which didn't amount to anything dramatic like a civil war, but certainly this infighting resulted in an overall loss of clan influence, while Emperor Gosanjo continued to govern the nation outright. It seemed like the Fujiwara clan were given a huge break when Gosanjo Tenno died in 1073, having sat upon the throne for only five years. His 20-year-old son was elevated to the throne in his place and is remembered as Emperor Shirakawa. We will dig deeper into his reign, but he was an incredibly innovative and influential Tenno, and his career deserves its own space. The events we are about to explore occurred mostly during his reign. Put a pin in Shirakawa Tenno for the moment. We will get back to him a few episodes from now. By 1083, things in Tohoku were not going well. Kiyohara Sanehira, the head of the Kirohara clan, celebrated the marriage between his adopted son and Minamoto Yoshiye's sister. At the celebration, one of Sanehira's vassals felt insufficiently thanked for his gift of gold and left the festivities early, which offended Sanehira. In response, he assembled his warband and departed for this vassal's home in Dewa province. At the heart of the ensuing conflict, there appears to have been a succession dispute. The offending vassal begged Sanehira's half-brother Kiyohara Iehira, as well as his stepbrother Fujiwara Kiyohira, for protection. Descended from Fujiwara Hidesato, slayer of Taira Masakado, Fujiwara Kiyohira's early life had been shaped by the events of the former Nine Years' War. Born around 1056, his father was a mid-level provincial bureaucrat who bore the Fujiwara name, and his mother was a daughter of Abe Yoritoki, whose name we do not know. 
During the course of the Zenkunen War, he lost his grandfather Yoritoki, his uncle Sadato, and his surviving uncles on his mother's side were exiled to Kyushu after the war's conclusion. His father was beheaded by Minamoto Yoriyoshi himself, allegedly with a sword that had been blunted to prolong the process and make it considerably more painful. All these events had transpired by the time Fujiwara Kiyohira was six years old. His mother was seized as a war prize by Kiyohara Takehira, who had helped the Minamoto bring the war to a close. While the boy was of mixed lineage, Yamato on his father's side and Amishi on his mother's, he was raised largely in the Amishi household of Kiyohara Takehira. While there is evidence that he probably adopted the Kiyohara moniker for much of his life before and after the ensuing war, I will continue to address him as Fujiwara for clarity because this is the name he would eventually become famous with. By adopting a son and arranging a socially advantageous marriage, Sanehira was cutting his brothers out of any chance at inheritance. At stake was an area called the Six Districts of Mutsu, which were located in the center west of the province and contained mines of gold and other valuable minerals. Iehira and Kiyohira welcomed the spurned vassal and the fighting began. This was all going on as Minamoto Yoshie took office as the new governor of Mutsu province. Sanehira's voices controlled Fort Izawa, an old fortification built during the late Nara period, and from there they sent raiding parties to ravage the areas controlled by Iehira and Kiyohira. While Sanehira was attending a celebration welcoming Yoshie, Fort Izawa was besieged by Iehira and Kiyohira's forces. Kiyohara Sanehira does not appear to have asked Yoshie directly for help. Instead, it is written that Sanehira's wife contacted other officials who worked for Yoshie and asked them to pass a request for help along, specifically to raise government troops at the provincial headquarters and help lift the siege. This roundabout method of communication is still part of Japanese culture today and not meant as anything deceptive. However, if Sanehira had directly asked for Yoshie's help, it would probably mean he was truly desperate, and Yoshie would almost certainly extract conditions. Yoshie sided with Sanehira, who was his sister's father-in-law, and raised a provincial army to break the siege at Fort Izawa. After a brief archery exchange, the partisans of Iehira and Kiyohira retreated. Soon afterward, however, Sanehira died, making the entire conflict completely moot. Yoshie was probably expecting a reward from Sanehira for his assistance, and now the matter had only become more complicated as Iehira and Kiyohira both demanded their portion of the inheritance of the six districts. Iehira felt that he should inherit all of those districts, and he went privately to Minamoto Yoshie and told outrageous lies about Kiyohira. Yoshie was not swayed by this, however, and seemingly in annoyance, he split the districts between the two stepbrothers. Filled with rage at this development, Iehira plotted to assassinate Kiyohira, but his stepbrother was not at home when Iehira's co-conspirators set the house on fire in the dead of night. Kiyohira's family, unfortunately, was home, and all of them were killed in the conflagration. 
Kiyohira went to Governor Yoshie for assistance in avenging his family against his stepbrother. In the fall of 1086, Yoshie used provincial resources to raise an army and proceeded to besiege Numa Stockade, a fortification where Iehira and his retainers had gathered. The winter that followed was brutally cold, and many of Yoshie's soldiers died from exposure and starvation. Eventually, he had to leave and try to call in some reinforcements of his own. He sent messages to the imperial court requesting an official arrest warrant for Kiyohara Iehira, as well as troops and materiel from neighboring provinces. The court abjectly refused. While this action might seem confusing at first, there were a couple of very simple factors at play. While Yoshie may have had a problem with the Kiyohara clan, the court did not. The Kiyohara had continued throughout the conflict to submit regular tax tribute without delay. Yoshie, meanwhile, was eating into provincial revenues to pay his troops and pursue this conflict. As far as the national government was concerned, this was Yoshie's problem. One of Yoshie's brothers, Yoshimitsu, was serving as a member of the Imperial Guard, and he left his post to support the flagging effort in Mutsu province, a decision that cost him that job. Meanwhile, Iehira managed to gain the support of a valuable ally within the Kiyohara clan, his uncle Takehira. While Yoshie was scrambling to recruit warriors and conscript peasants for a renewed offensive, Iehira and Takehira relocated to the Kanezawa stockade, which was said to be more easily defended. After the harvest in 1087, Yoshie took his army to Kanezawa and attempted to assault the fortress but was repelled each time. They settled in instead for a siege which lasted five months. At the end of that year, those within the fortress surrendered as they fell victim to starvation and the army of Yoshie and Kiyohira stormed in with a terrible fury. The attacking troops killed and raped with abandon as Yoshie hunted down the Kiyohara leaders and collected their heads. Yoshie and his confederates brought the enemy heads with them as they traveled to the capital, hoping that a post facto arrest warrant might be in process which would justify the whole adventure. However, once more the court rebuffed Yoshie, and so he ordered his men to throw the heads into the road as they would not earn them any official rewards. According to one source, the court was being miserly, reasoning that if they granted an official arrest order, then they would be obligated to give rewards. The following year, Minamoto Yoshie was removed from his post as governor of Mutsu and returned to Kamakura in disgrace, owing the court a considerable debt for back taxes which took him ten years to repay. In his book Heavenly Warriors, Historian William Wayne Ferris posits that Yoshie may have risked the court backlash in order to free himself from a feudal obligation of loyalty that he owed to the Kiyohara. The story goes that the Kiyohara clan claimed that Yoshie's father, Yoriyoshi, had sworn obedience to Kiyohara Takehira in order to obtain his cooperation in the Zenkunen War years before. Just as offices were inheritable, so was feudal loyalty. To refute this claim, Minamoto Yoshie demanded that the surviving Kiyohara clan members produce documentation of this supposed loyalty oath after he took the Kanezawa stockade, 
but none of them could do so. Yoshie's victory-slash-failure made his continued leadership in the Sewa Genji clan an open question. Before long, he would have to fight his brother Yoshitsuna in a clan civil war, which Yoshie would win. Shortly after that, the court punished him further by denying him permission to establish new estates on reclaimed land until his debt was repaid. Yoshie was not gone forever, though, and he still has some part to play in the narrative of Japanese history. Now that the Kiyohara clan was no longer in existence, who would take charge of the all-important six districts of Mutsu? The only remaining claimant to its inheritance, Fujiwara Kiyohira. Now that his rivals had all been removed, Kiyohira stood to inherit some of the most profitable land and industries in Tohoku. He set about gaining official recognition of his regional power through gifting horses and other regional goods to the regent Fujiwara Morozane and paid his taxes faithfully. He was made Oryoshi of Mutsu province either in 1089 or 1092, depending on the source, and around 1094 he built a new residence on Mount Kazan. An imperial highway called the Frontier Way was very near his new home, which economically connected his new settlement to the other settlements throughout Tohoku. This location, which later developed into the town of Hiraizumi, was also right in the middle of the six districts of Mutsu. Throughout the early 1100s, he funded several Buddhist temple construction projects throughout the region, the most famous of which was Chusonji, a fairly massive temple which continued to grow throughout Kiyohira's lifetime and beyond. His first family had been killed by his stepbrother Iehira during the later Three Years' War, but he took many wives after the war had ended and fathered many children. He is considered the founder of a family which we refer to as the Northern Fujiwara Clan, who would continue ruling over Tohoku as regional leaders and over the next hundred years would develop into a leading faction of the late 1100s. They are sometimes called the Hiraizumi clan to avoid confusion with the Fujiwara clan which controlled the regency. For our purposes, I will refer to them as the Northern Fujiwara and trust that you will be able to differentiate between the roughneck quasi-Eimishi Northern Samurai and the finely dressed dictators who, by the early 1100s, had quite altogether let their iron grasp on power slip. We will return to the various fumbles and foibles of the latter-day Fujiwara regions several episodes from now. Next time, however, we will turn our gaze west to see what became of China during the 900s as the splintered nation works its way through yet another period of disunity until finally a single dynasty will unite the nation under its rule and accomplish some pretty impressive cultural milestones in the process. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan.